welcome to the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Martin Thomas. Join me and my guest speakers as they discuss the journey they've had with their own voice, as well as light bulb moments, stories, and personal wisdoms. Vocal Freedom is a bi-weekly podcast raising awareness about vocal health and well-being from members of the voice community. I'll be speaking with professional singers, actors, choir directors, voice teachers, voice disorder experts, singing voice specialists, touring singers, and other experts. Welcome to this new episode of the Vocal Freedom Podcast. This week, I'm delighted to introduce to you a wonderful teacher that I've had the pleasure of meeting over the last few years on several courses. She's going to be doing some masterclasses for the students in my voice academy. And um, she's, you know, I think she's a really wonderful person, actually. She's, you know, when you meet somebody and you just feel like they have this wonderful glowing light inside of them and just, you know, such a generous soul and very genuine. And I'm very, I'm really drawn to people like Amelia because you just, you feel the sense of um, how much they want to improve the world, I think. And um, I do feel like I've got a little bit of a kindred spirit with her. So she's an expert voice coach and singing teacher that specializes in teaching children and young singers under 16 in the professional West End industry. So she currently teaches one-to-one and group singing lessons privately from the West End. And she's previously worked in lots of professional schools and colleges teaching singing, most currently at Lane Theatre Arts, Mount View, Bird College, London Studio Centre and Amildale Academy, as well as with Spirit Young Performers Company. Amelia's recently completed an MA with Distinction in Vocal Pedagogy with the University of Wales Trinity St David. And her voice research remained focused on teaching young voices in musical theatre, performance anxiety and performance enhancement for children in professional musical theatre. Prior to the MA, she received a distinction for her PG certificate in vocal pedagogy with Cardiff Metropolitan University, which was also specialising in teaching young voices within professional musical theatre. In the future, she hopes to write a book and keep studying voice. And, a lot, you know, as for those of you that know me well, like me, she loves her job. She loves the art and she's fully invested in it. Welcome to the show today. I am joined by the beautiful Amelia Carr, also known as the Curly Coach. And I just want to sprinkle this session with a little bit of fairy magic before we begin because I feel that's what you really encompass whenever I see you on screen or we've met in person you you have a lovely brightness oozing out of your face which is just wonderful so (laughs) so I'd like to start by asking you how you would describe your journey with your own voice oh well I guess you look back and you realise more about your journey looking back. So I don't think that as my journey was starting that I realised what was going on. Um, I was always encouraged by school teachers to sing in assemblies. Um, I grew up singing in church. And again, there was a little old lady that ran, ran a singing group and would always throw me, you know, at the front to sing and then I was just immersed in music um, but I never really realised that I had 
a voice. Um, and I then, through my teenage years, had a lot of singing lessons um, and I was given lead parts in things locally and I worked, luckily, I was lucky enough to work as a child as well. But I still didn't really click. It was just my world. It was what was going on. Um, I don't think my teacher was that great at giving any praise. So when I look back, I really value that when I, we give our students praise, that's also really important. So I grew up with a hell of a lot of um, critique and competition, but not necessarily knowing where I was going right. So it wasn't until that I went into professional training and I met two phenomenal teachers um, who actually kind of slapped me around the face and said, you're actually really good. And then I was kind of a bit shocked. I was a bit overwhelmed and seeing the other people in my year group and realizing that actually I'm quite good at this. And my peers would um, say, oh, I wish I could sing as well as you. And I used to think, what are you talking about? Like I was I, I had no idea that I had any skill or any talent. And actually, I kind of wished that I did know because I think it would have made me hone in even more. So it's not a regret, but it's just an observation. And then I just used to have a lot of friends at college and people in my training that would come to me and say, oh, can you help me? And so there I was already kind of the go to like person in my class for explaining further thing. You know, we learned a still technique through our training. And, you know, a lot of the dancers, for example, had never sung. So they would always come to me and say, can you explain this? And I had I. I, again, I knew that I was good at explaining it because people would come and ask me, but I didn't realise that I was actually teaching at the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess that's where my passion really, really fired off in my training, which sounds really stupid. And I look back and I think I was so naive, like I had no idea. Um, and if only I'd have known at the time, <laughs> um, you know, maybe I'd have worked differently. But actually, I think my late 20s, definitely early 30s, I really felt like, wow, I can sing. I can sing. And um, in in terms of teaching, I've, I've always known that I could teach, I guess, just because people gravitated towards me to learn. So yeah. I guess. I, when I look back but again I wasn't thinking that at the time like when you're a 16 year old kid and you're organizing productions for your whole church youth group guides and you're pulling in all your mates from dancing like that was what I did through all my childhood like bossing everyone else around <laughs> getting them in on productions and everything else. it was so kind of a given but I didn't realize that's what I was doing at the time was nurturing myself as a teacher um, and even I've got photos of um, childhood, my two buddies, neighbours were Sam and Lucy. And there's countless photos of us, you know, dressed up in God knows what from where we got this stuff. from. I don't know, <laughs> directing productions and, you know, arguing over who was going to do this voice. And that was and, you know, it was just there. It was just embedded. And then being an older sibling of four and just constantly bullying them all to do <laughs> what I wanted them to do. <laughs> I so completely relate to your story because I think like you when I look back 
because um, you don't notice at the time, do you? It's all just happy. You're, you're living your life and it's happening to you. But I can so relate to that because I really think back to when I grew up in a little cul-de-sac in Wiltshire and we had, you know, the summer holidays or the Easter holidays would come. And it almost felt like all the other kids would knock on my door and say, what are we doing today? And I was the one who would basically organise, are we going to write a play today? Are we going to go and act this out? And, and I, I was already directing and producing stuff. And, you know, that's what I've ended up doing as my job now, you know. My dad was a DJ. My uncle was a DJ. He had a recording studio um, for a time and I'd be in there doing that you know, playing around with stuff. Um, my cousins all played musical instruments, we're marching bands, you know, cousins, just all, f- and my, my nonna, beautiful Italian singer, gorgeous Italian folk singer, just every angle had that influence and people just going, come on, this is what we do, you know. And I just, you look back on it and you think you have no idea when you're growing up that that's what it's leading you to. And even when I look back now on two years ago when I sold my performing arts school and I think, oh my gosh, I tried not to swear then. Um, <laughs> I think, my goodness, the skills that I acquired for those 13 years of running that business are insane. And I probably, I had no idea at the time of what I was, it's when you look back now and you go, oh my word. Um, you know, I wouldn't be who I am now without all the joys, hardships, stresses and excitement of all of that as well. So, you know, and that exposure to so many children's voices over the years has been what's really shaped what I can do now. Yeah, it's wonderful. So you primarily work with under 16s. But of course, I've seen on on um, social media a few times that, the you know, if you think back 15 years, the kids you were teaching were little then and now adults. Are you now still working with them as adults as well? I've just recorded a uh, um, recording for Also Festival where I've done like a little, um, that's Juliet Russell's amazing festival, which she's taking online. And I've just literally finished this morning recording a video tutorial for kids to work on top tips for naughty from Matilda. And I said at it, so the first girl that I coached um, who got the part of um, Lavender, she has just had a baby. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Literally like, ah! that's how long I've been doing this. And, um, you know, then the first Matilda that I coached, she is, you know, going to be going through college now. And it's mental. It's just crazy. Like, and then even before that, because they would have been eight, nine at the time. And so, yeah, you look back and um, Liam, another one of my students who I'm very, very close to is 24 now. So, again, crazy. So they're all they're all growing up. So I always say, you know, kids grow up. So I naturally now have adults too. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's wonderful. It's really wonderful. So um, I'm going to hit you with another question. Is there anything that you wish you'd learned sooner? Is there anything that I wish I'd have learned sooner from a teacher perspective or a singer? I think more as a more regarding your own voice, I think. I think the journey of your voice, it sounds as if you were pretty much already, you know, you've done it for so, for so long as a child as, as well, that you've developed along the way. And maybe there isn't anything, but if there was anything you learned later, maybe. Yeah, I think it's, you know, now in musical theatre, 
singers are so well resourced and that's because teachers have had to be more resourced so when I was growing up musical theatre you know you you had your standard singing teachers and they were mostly of a classical background whereas now kids and and anyone can go find a teacher that specializes in this 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 and this and I guess that's what I probably lacked as a young singer the kind of ages that I teach now I kind of feel a little bit like gosh you're so lucky you're so lucky you've got everything at your fingertips you know and I often say about how we would save up our pocket money have to save up if you wanted to buy a bit of music you used to have to save up your money to not only buy the book but you had to save up the money to get the train to London to go to Bond Street to <laughs> go to, to the shop and you'd sit in there all day long like that was your day out like that's what you wanted to beg your parents to do in the holidays whereas now they just click a button and do it and I just think um I think what would I change would probably be like I wish I'd have had more specialist teachers I don't I think that would have made a difference and then but I guess when you're growing up it's what you've got at your fingertips in your local area isn't it and then I guess it's all the other holistic things that I love so I love the mindfulness I love just creating it's why I call myself a coach is first and foremost I'm a senior teacher but second of all I mentor and coach all of my students I really invest in them and I guess that's what we probably didn't have as kids so much. It was more that you turned up at your lesson, you did your thing, and this is how you did it, how your teacher wanted to do it, and then you moved on. Whereas I'm much more holistic, like I want to meet them at their place and move them forward. And I'd rather them make mistakes. I'd rather my students make mistakes in order to trust me a bit more. Mm. So that beginning bit of learning is about them learning to trust me. So it, it takes its time and, you know, and then you have the students that just come in and need the quick fixes for certain jobs and certain jobs, meaning occasions, whether it's that they're preparing something specific in a short space of time or they want to do their grade, whatever, whatever exam with what, you know, whatever their school parents or such and such requires of them. But it's that much more holistic approach. Um, so, yeah, I think I love the way that we can nurture our students more. Yeah, me too. I'm a big fan of that. I mean, I've just obviously, as you know, with um, my business change and um, going, moving into classes to prepare the students for this online show we're doing. Um, and I've, you know, I've sort of I've, we've got this wonderful sense of community amongst the whole students at the moment that they're seeing each other in the class as well, which is brilliant because normally it's always been one to one. And, um, you know, I see that, yes, I'm their coach and teacher with regards to their singing, but it also feels like I'm facilitating. That's that's kind of my role at the moment is facilitating getting everybody through a process to yeah. uh, represent themselves the, in the best light for the show. So, uh, yeah, I think I use that word facilitator as well sometimes. I think you do do, you facilitate in more than just singing technique. It's um, mindsets and, and, you know, a healthy outlook. And Generally for kids and young people, when I use the word kids, I generally mean anyone under 21, by the way. <laughs> but <laughs> um, And it's not in a condescending or patronising way. It's just my abbreviation, I suppose. I think generally you know whether 
young people are playing football, whether they aspire to be the next prime minister, whether they whether they aspire to be a pharmacist, a doctor, whatever it is that they want to do, big or small profession, that resilience is really key, like owning your place in mm. your tribe, like owning it. Um, and I, I love all of that resilience mindset stuff because I think that... Uh, I mean, in my study of performance anxiety, it just came up over and over again. <coughs> it doesn't matter how much we teach our students to floor a song, nail a song, do the best performance. It, once they go through those doors, once they step on that stage, can they actually do it? And that's the bit I'm really interested in. And I spend a lot of time reading up on coaches from all different fields um, at the moment, I'm looking into the new series that's on Netflix, which is about Michael Jordan. Mm. I'm on like see episode two or whatever. And I just lo- I'm so like gagging for them to get to the bit where they explain. They've explained how he got from one point to the next and that he had to prove himself and whatever. But actually, who were the teachers and what did he used to say and how did he used to behave And we all know that it's one in a million that can have that kind of mindset and resilience and live it and be it. That so intrigues me. Like, can we remodel that? And what is, how do we, how do we make our students in whatever level they're performing? We all teach students that go into an exam, singing exam, whatever board, whatever grade and come out and go, I just messed that up. But why did they? Why did they do that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what went how wrong? Help them get the best of every situation. Yeah. It's very important. And it's it's wonderful that you're doing that work as well, because, you know, it would be too easy, wouldn't it, to sit back on all the experience you've already got and just use that. It's brilliant to still. This is what I'm drawn to. You know, the people that are still on a journey and, hurt, you know, thirsty for more information of how we can be even better and more um you know, facilitate better or whatever it is in, in that department. That's wonderful. I must look that series up, actually. I mean, yeah. I remember him in that whole sort of PMA, the positive mental attitude stuff coming out of yeah. sports, you know. I'm at, and I just think how many, how many teacher conversations have I been a part of where, you know, teachers have to draw a line sometimes and go, that's not my responsibility. But I'm intrigued, and no disrespect on that, but I'm intrigued as to how and why ordinary ordinarily students can come in and we can think oh my word they're amazing and then they get on stage and they completely fall apart Mm. or they they come out and they're saying oh I messed up the audition and you just think what is making that happen and so that bit that goes on that's what really interests me and I think that's much more of a coach mentor kind of role um and that's kind of where I'm at. I want to really understand that because it really pains me when you see countless young performers that often quit because they don't feel that they're good enough or they look at others and think, I want to be like that. And I don't feel like I've got their confidence. And, oh, it's my yeah, it's diff- that, that That's a difficult one, especially if you've got a group class and people, you know, when I started the whole uh, process of, um, you know, let's do a group thing and then one-to-ones on the side of that, obviously, to support their their individual voice work. But 
where we were like everyone's got to learn the finale so we might as well do that all together rather than separately it takes too long um but with with regards to that were a couple of my students that were like oh no I don't think I want to be in a class with those people because they're so much better than I am or whatever and there was this sort of insecurity as soon as I said well actually in the class you'll be muted no one will hear you anyway but not that you would be bad but you know it's the sort of thing where that that when you're a teenager you always compare yourself don't you you always feel like you're on this scale somehow and um you know there's jealousy there's you know envy there's all sorts of things that are quite normal emotions for kids to go through I think um, but hopefully I try to encourage them all to support each other rather than compete with each other in any way. Um, and actually how it's worked, we've had our first classes this week. Everybody has been brilliant together and it's been really, really lovely to see all their smiley faces. And, uh, and I love the, the zoom pictures you've been posting with your group classes as well. Cause you... I actually have so many, I've had to delete them from my phone. Oh, wow. <laughs> So there's a lot of this they, they all kind of just look the same let's face it because it's <laughs> just a screen with loads of kids on it but yeah it's literally been nuts I I don't know how many hours I've taught online but I've taught more than normally because they're at home and they yes stuff to do same for me can I ask you what was the thing you were doing with paper aeroplanes because I didn't read the full explanation it looked wonderful that was about resilience. So um, Matthew Syed, I'm so creative. I've probably gone completely off the beaten track of what Matthew was actually talking about in his book. But he has a bit in his book where he talks about people that make paper aeroplanes. And, you know, there are actually teams of people around the world that look at the best way to make a paper aeroplane and make it go. And so actually, I didn't take that angle. What I did is I kind of used it for my own creative purpose. So I stole his exercise of breaking down. So I got them to make the paper aeroplane without telling them how to do it. I just said to them, and some of them were just literally like, I have no idea. And I was like, you know, okay, now, you know, wherever you are, see how far you can get it to go. And you see just some of them falling to pieces. You know, these are people that are singers and dancers and performers. They have no interest in paper airplanes. And I'm going, just stick with me, just stick with me. And then, um, you know, I talked to them about what do we need? Okay, we need the right equipment. We need other, other bits of equipment we didn't even know we had. How do we know how to know what the equipment is that we need and what about if we do it like this and what about if we do it like that and then I talked them through how to make the perfect paper airplane they were far from perfect but <laughs> you know um by the book kind of perfect paper airplane and then you know the minute details were the were the point so the whole thing about resilience with young people is often and this came up in my case study for performance anxiety often they don't they don't get the result they want because they just don't know the industry relevant specific information they don't know the detail they don't understand what is required now that can be so devastating to realize and in my case study i was i was actually angry when i realized this because i thought there is there are people to blame for this Okay. not wanting to point the finger of blame, but these are young people and we are putting them into situations where potentially they 
could never want to do it again because their confidence is crushed. Okay. That for me might sound dramatic, but that for me is a devastation because no kid gets on stage, not wanting to get on stage. Nobody, nobody is forced to go up there. I mean, there probably are people that are forced to get up there, but generally speaking, if someone is forced to get up there, a different response will happen anyway. I'm talking about people that have tried tried their hardest, done what their teachers told them, practiced their hardest, done what their parents have encouraged them to do and and will still fall apart and then risk their confidence crushing. And sadly, parents do sometimes make the wrong decisions for their kids. Teachers sometimes misinform the kids or miss out the detail. And sometimes it's because kids just haven't got access to the right information because their parents can't fund their lessons and a whole minutiae of problems, right? We're not just blaming the teachers and the parents here, but that really gets to my core. Mm. Um, When kids came to my case study, 30 of them, and unanimously I realised through the whole process that, they were lacking in information that they should have. So the, some of the situations that have caused their performance anxiety shouldn't have happened. Mm. It's been allowed to happen. Their agent should have given them more information. Their parents should have known to follow up or their parents shouldn't have put them there in the first place if they didn't know what was required of them. But then the parents don't know what they should and shouldn't know. So who's responsible for all of this stuff? So. You can go, oh, it's this person's fault, this person's fault. Or you can just kind of go, okay, what can I do to actually impact this positively? So now I try and provide that gap, that real, relevant, industry-specific information, guidance, mentoring, lessons, seminars, workshops, masterclasses for kids who really want to be in the theatre industry, really want to be a good theatre singer. Um so that resilience thing, the paper aeroplane is supposed to help them realise actually in my singing and in my industry knowledge, do I know all the details? Have I really picked the right song? Have I really understood what that director might want? Have I really gone by the brief? You know, so if you're given a list of instructions, how many times do we have kids that come into our lessons and say they've asked for a pop rock slash gospel song and they bring in like Motown or they bring in like something they heard Catherine Jenkins sing and you just go how how did you get there yeah absolutely the the question the other question that came up in my research which was really vulnerable finding is a question for the teacher is are we actually teaching them relevant information or are we teaching them what we think they need to know? So then, um, for example, for me as a teacher, it made me think again about, so the, the few students that I have that study classical repertoire, actually, I either need to up my game with classical knowledge or I need to send them somewhere else because I am a musical theatre specialist. I grew up singing classical. I know enough of the classical repertoire that kids are expected to sing, but I'm not a specialist in that style and it is a different style. So it kind of makes you really think, what are we imparting on them and how is that impacting them? So yeah, the Mm aeroplane thing, it had quite a deep thing behind it, but it was meant to 
just again make them do the thinking they learn more from making mistakes and correcting themselves I call that a light bulb moment I mean it's not my phrase of course but actually the whole coaching training that I've done is much more about leading them to realize themselves yeah Um, which is hard in an industry that moves five million miles an hour Mm, I bet yeah absolutely that and that leads me to my next question which was about light bulb moments um so I was wondering if you if you wanted to share any oh you kind of already have actually but share any personal ones or or ones that you've noticed when working with other other people's voices you know what what your important light bulb moments maybe the most important light bulb moment has to be realizing that the light bulb moment exists Um, because I was a very young pedantic teacher that wanted the best out of every student. So I would always go over and over and over all the little fine details, but it wouldn't necessarily give them that light bulb moment to realise it. It would be do this, do do it again, do it again, do it again. And, you know, I've learnt in the last kind of six years, especially, it's been just going on that coaching journey of actually are they really getting this and when you start to realize actually just telling them isn't good enough um and I've never really been a here do it like this copy me teacher I'm not really a Simon Says teacher um although there's a lot like to be said for that like some student, you have to meet the student at their needs. So some students need you to sing to them and they want you to sing to them. Um, others don't, don't learn well at all like that. But that actual realisation of engaging in reflective practice and realising actually, are they really getting this? And being able to take a look inside your own teaching practice and models and go, right, I'm doing it this way but actually there's probably another 10 ways at least that I need to engage in in order to make every student have access to getting what I mean so that was its own light bulb moment realizing that you know just because they're young doesn't mean that they need to be told they can realize it for themselves um, I've always been a big fan of allowing students to like I don't like those rules of you can't sing this song or that's too grown up for you like my general rule is well I have lots of rules but you know if I don't think a song is appropriate first of all uh, cut it down to the bits that are sing it in a key that is check with the parents first and fo- foremost are they happy with this um but make it appropriate you know they all want to sing ariana grande the girls so i'm not going to tell them no because that's who their inspiration is you know when we look back on ella fitzgerald and aretha franklin and you know all the great singers of any genre over time we have to sing those songs we have to sing those contexts because we kind of need that like one of the big things that we do is we say oh her influences were dum de dum de dum these people yet we'll say to kids in our studios sometimes you can't sing that 
you know it's too grown up for you but how do we make it fit so I'm more interested in the the yeses than the noes like how can I make that happen for them so that's something important that I learned because I grew up very much with a you know uh teacher-led model of you know this is what's in the rule book so this is what we do and when you're this age you sing this song when you sing you're this age you sing that song I think just meeting each student at their needs and not saying no because that just pushes them out the door yeah into someone else um and that someone else may not have as many skills as you to cope with the issues that this song might bring them so I'd rather work through it and I, I try and negotiate. So negotiation is the big light bulb um, because I did have to fight that habit to not say, you know, it took me a while to learn what the negotiation would be. And I guess what would the other negotiation, what would the other light bulb thing be? Oh, vocal tract, like acoustics. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't quite so Ken Bozeman in our training, was it? <laughs> Who knew all this time that, you know, I don't know, that was just a revelation for me, really. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a, um, a real journey for me over the last decade, really. And I think what's happened this year, as I've, I've mentioned when we've chatted before, that um, I've spent a lot of time being really into the science of the acoustics and, and, and sort of looking at how we analyze the sound and how we can use these brilliant programs like uh, Voce Vista and, um, and spectrograms and things to kind of how the voice, what it looks like and how we can make small adjustments to bring out more ring or whatever it is. So it's fascinating. It does fascinate me because it's, it was like a new thing to play with. But then I've all, I think I've gone back the other way again now and thinking more about <clears throat> intention and, um, you know, sort of expression rather than, um, tapping into trying to make a picture look a certain way on a spectrograph, which can be quite depressing. I, don't, I have to say, I don't tend to use spectrograms. Mm. And I know there's an, a great argument for using spectrograms, but um, I choose not to. Yeah. I choose to use more of a Tom Burke approach with playing with sound. Yeah. Um, and I'd rather get them to tune their, uh, them being young people, to tune their ear um, than to tune the screen. Because I think it, it does have a hint of obsessiveness for me. So mm. maybe that's my own issue and whatever, but that's just my personal choice. But also, um, you know, we do cross a bridge where um, I don't want them to be focused on that screen so yeah. much um not for not for theater there's certainly a time and place for that and I wouldn't hesitate to use it in certain situations I think I've used it for two young people in my whole career because they needed that but again it's just another tool isn't it yeah absolutely and I do yeah I think I mean I, I wouldn't say it's something I've um used that regularly either but it's been useful on the odd occasion to give a visual aid um when you're sort of helping someone find a certain space and and then you go, let's see what that looks like. And let's compare it to what you were trying to do before and that sort of thing. So it can be a bit useful for them to see the difference and feel the difference too. Yeah, um, but... I get obsessed with it. The other day <laughs> I did, uh, I sang Unexpected Song and I realised why I don't sing that song. Um, and it's purely because of the last note. Hearing that jump, which 
I mean, I just had to get the spectrograph out to actually figure out what I was doing. Because <laughs> I was literally like, this is what I do. Like, if it was someone else, I'd fix it in no problem. But it was just in my own voice. I yeah. needed to see what was going on. And it's it's usually an acoustic shift that that is getting in the way. But anyway, could talk about that. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. I do love that. So here's my next question, Amelia. What have you found most valuable in caring for your own voice cool down okay (laughs) (laughs) um this season I've had a lot of hay fever and I do get hay fever and it's ironic that we're indoors and I'm suffering more but um the most important thing it has been cool down And I do a lot of singing. I do a lot of big singing and a lot of teaching, a hell of a lot of voice use. Um, And my husband and I are talkers as well. So we don't tend to sit on the sofa and watch films. We tend to play games and talk and chat or even just lark about with karaoke, like music again. Mm. So constant voice use. Um, and I hate being in silence. So I, if I'm out and about, I'll chat to people and, you know, like constant voice use, basically cool down has been the best thing. And, you know, that I do get to the end of some days and I'm vocally exhausted, tight, and everything has just got stuck and you, I've had to learn that it doesn't matter what I want to do immediately after singing, teaching all day, whatever, I have got to rest. I've got to recover. Mm. Sorry. So I now have my yoga mat on the floor here. When I finish, I get on the floor. I get back into neutral as much as I can. And then I start calling my voice down. And so it's a whole body thing. Mm. We said before we started, I've been getting a lower backache and I think it's from sitting on this comfy stool I've got, but it's got no back to it. Yeah. So I'm unsupported most of the day. And I do teach standing up a lot. Those who know me well know that whenever I can stand up and teach, I do. But, you know, that cool down has been the most valuable thing. And again, guess then next to that is warm up. Mm. And there's times where we all forget to warm up or we just have missed the bus or whatever, got on the wrong tube and ended up late showing up and whatever. But those are the days that you're never quite on point, hey, when you haven't warmed up. That's really insightful. Thank you. I've got a big one now. (laughs) Okay, you can be as philosophical or as magical about this as you choose to be. But this question is quite big because I know people can take it different ways. I'd like to ask you, what does your voice mean to you? I don't know what life would be without a voice. (laughs) Definitely, my husband might get a word in edge. I love that. Um, So now that he's been brought up, so my husband we were total like love at first sight slushy mushy no one wants to hear it (laughs) 
what is really cute that he said, I totally fell in love with you, love at first sight. But when I realized you could sing, he was like, I always wanted, he said, do you know how girls draw their imaginary wedding dress and whatever? He was like, I always wanted to marry someone that could sing. And he always says to me, um, there's a time when uh, I was sat at the piano and I was playing um, do, 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 promise me, Beverly Craven. I mean, how on earth? I even why it would have been that song I don't know and I started singing it and he just said I literally wanted to marry you as soon as I heard you sing it and this would have just been like at home messing about whatever um opening a book where I can play something and sing at the same time which I'm not very good at so I guess um singing for me has also always been a healer and uh uh, happiness bringer <laughs> yeah I used to spend summers in Italy with my nonna she would be so happy and you know proper urban living um, out in the fields picking vegetables you know seeing to the land women down in the basement peeling pota- uh, peeling potatoes peeling tomatoes making um pasta sauce tomato sauce for the whole year's supply for the entire family and it was just singing it was folk singing it was what I grew up with and you know I think it's just been there for me like I said my dad was a DJ my uncle was a DJ all my family were constantly only last week lost my auntie Barbara sadly who any family occasion on my mum's side it was everybody around the piano sing a song sing this sing that church sing this sing that guides you know I landed in every group and everywhere where I was brownies guides school I was just constantly immersed in singing so I can't imagine life without it um you know, going to the music room every lunchtime to sing was a great healing for me. Singing through loss, singing through whenever I, whatever I'm going through, I want to sing. Mm. It sounds cheesy, but I think it is just, it just represents everything for me. Like if I'm happy, I'll sing a happy song. If I'm in pain, I'll sing a song that helps me express that. Um, and we all have times in our life where we can't always express in words what we want to say. And certainly for me, having had a big local level business and then now being quite immersed in an industry and being a, uh, an example to young people, I do have to be careful what I let off on, what I let out personally. Um, and I'm a wear my heart on my sleeve type of person, but I've had my own major struggles to get through um, in the last two years, especially. And singing has been my way of just, I can deal with this because you can't always say those things. So, you know, and I, I teach a prison choir in a women's prison, which I absolutely love and that came about from my work that in my own personal life I love serving the homeless 
I absolutely love um, love that work that I do. I'm very passionate about it. And that led me by chance to running a choir in a prison for, for women. Um, and I see in them, like they'll come along and go, oh, I feel so much better. Or they'll come and say to me, miss, I can't stay today, I've got a headache. And I say to them, just, I promise you, your headache will go if you stay. (laughs) (laughs) And an hour, two hours later, they're there, sure as hell, going, I haven't got a headache anymore. You were right. I feel better. I want to keep singing. Yay! Everyone should keep singing. Yeah, I mean, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful tool. And um, you're right. And I I couldn't agree more, actually. The way that I feel about music is very, very similar. I feel like we're, we're singing from the same hymn sheet completely. Um, and it just also feels that there's lots of parallels. I wish we'd known each other sooner almost because um, our backgrounds are really very pretty similar. And we obviously like some of the same music because I found, you know, quite recently um, I was just um, inspired by a particular song. And then lo and behold, three days later, you'd posted yourself singing it. And I was like, oh, I've got to sing this now because it's been in my mind all week. And it was amazing to feel that connection almost. It was almost like when you introduced it, I was thinking to myself, I wonder if she's going to be singing I'm Here. It felt like before you even introduced it, oh, wouldn't that be creepy if the one I've just been playing with is the one you... And it really, you know, it's like I felt connected to you in that moment. And um, it was lovely. So I, I'd like to ask you a twofold question next, which is what voices inspire you and who could you never tire of listening to? Who are your favourites? I could never tire of listening to Barbara Streisand. Um, I just love how she shapes everything. I just feel like there's everything in her voice that I would want to hear. Um, I love Cynthia Erivo. I followed her from when she's graduated. Um, I followed her out to Broadway to watch her perform and then I took my whole theatre school out there at the time to go watch her again. I, again, I just love what she does with her voice. I also love people like Jessie J. Just, I don't particularly like her, I don't follow her music per se. I don't particularly like her voice. I'm not saying I don't. But I just think she's impressive, you know? Mm. I love it when you can listen to someone and go, wow, how did she do that? I admire metal singers. Like, that extreme vocal stuff just makes me go, what? Mm. You that? So I love that. I love, I love, I, yeah, Inquisition. Yeah, voice-wise, Barbara Streisand, Barbara Streisand, Barbara Streisand, Doris Day, like, who are my influences? Doris Day, Barry Manilow, Cheese Fest. <laughs> Again, I've just always had some kind of cheesy connection with how he sings. Like, even now, I do not miss a Barry Manilow concert, by the way. When he's in the UK, I'm there because I have this thing that I'm going to jinx his death otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) If I don't go, he's going to die and I'm going to say that I didn't see his last concert. Wow. (laughs) Something like that. To go see everyone. Did have tickets for his concert next month, but, you know, I doubt he's going to be here. 
and you see someone like that perform and they're really performing and you hear everything in their voice and it doesn't matter whether there's cracks or breaks or pitchy notes it's so emotional it's so connected um other influences Doris Day um Patsy Cline mm-hmm. what did I what Ella Fitzgerald like I love American songbook stuff Celine Dion okay they're what they're all wonderful artists and what I love about them as well and I think again another another way that I feel a bit connected to you, Amelia on this is because what I also when you when you say you sort of admire performance what all those artists seem to have in common is a sense of real truth when they perform and and the storytelling and the they they pull you in, don't they? You don't just get the, the feeling they're just singing at you. They're really performing the songs and um, it draws you into their world and you feel immersed in it. And it's it's a lovely place to be. And I, I love a bit of cheesy music as well, actually. So I, I'm not going to judge you at all on that. As the the title of this podcast is Vocal Freedom, would you be able to think of a couple of songs that you feel might encompass what you might recognise your version of what vocal freedom is, whether it's from one of those artists, your favourite song or something that um, you think, oh, this song really demonstrates freedom in this singer. Is there anything you'd like to, because I can then put a link in the show notes and people can go look it up if they haven't seen it or heard it before. Those songs that I feel give way to expressing freedom. Mm. Well, more so the, the I suppose, because well, I'll ask you this question, it might draw you to it. What do you think vocal freedom is? That's a really good question. What is vocal freedom? I think vocal freedom is going into any situation and knowing that your instrument is going to pull through. Um, so I always say to students, crossing your fingers isn't a technique. So you need technique if you're doing that. So because lots of people get afraid of technique, right? So we can ha- we can be too technical. Mm. So I think vocal freedom is being able to express what you want to say and your voice working. And if that means that it's working because it's cracked or it's broken or it's gone pitchy, but you have moved your whole audience then bingo so I would say vocal freedom I would think I have vocal freedom when I feel like I can go into any environment and put across what with intention what I want what I want to have them understand or tell a story take them on a journey with me and them not be thinking, oh, she sang a nice note or whatever. It's that whole like, wow, that was so powerful and moving. Yeah. And when when you've witnessed that then in another singer, what what songs come to mind or performances? Um, it probably, I mean, I've seen Barbara Streisand twice and I just think she has this ability to go, there it is, um, The irony with her is that we know she doesn't feel like that. We know that she suffers massively with stage anxiety. So that is a massive irony, but 
so I'm not sure that she does have complete vocal freedom because we know that she's terrified when she performs. And so for me, vocal freedom are those artists that make you go, there you are, it's yours. It's my blessing to you. I know that it can, it can do something for you today. It can change your life today. And for me, that's my, the Fanalo in me. Oh, Fanalo. <laughs> I've not heard of that. <laughs> Have you not? No. Is that what all the Barry Manilow fans are called? Yeah. I didn't know that. I think that's brilliant. So Amelia called the Fanalo. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit more, it's a bit better than brossette, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I never, I was never one, but I did, I, I did have a bit of a crush on the boys, bless. But, you know, it was my formative years. It was the first, oh, they look nice. Um, yeah, brilliant. So we're pretty much there, actually. I was just going to ask you at the end, as we draw this to an end, and obviously thank you ever so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Um, is there anything coming up that you would like people of the podcast to get involved in or that you've, you know, you feel free to promote any services and things you've got coming up? And obviously some of my students, oh, go on. I'm so bad at this stuff. So what have I got coming up? Um, I have currently, I've got a free page for under 16s that are mad about musical theatre. And I am hoping that I can continue that after isolation. But at the moment, it's been an absolute lifeline for me. My husband's a policeman. So when I was dry of work at the beginning of the isolation period, it gave me a lifeline and something to focus on hey so I literally say to the students and parents in that group now on Facebook like I am so grateful for you because it gave me something to focus on at a time where we had all lost our jobs basically um, my whole industry all my clients had lost their jobs so you know it was scary couple of weeks but you know that's that's um kind of come into fruition now I've got loads of new people asking for lessons and so on but anyway yeah if you want to join that group that's that's great um and you can find that by just messaging me on social media so I'm all over social medias um my website is www.ameliacarvoice.com I have a teacher's course coming up on uh the bank holiday Sunday in May so my teacher's courses, I try and say, here's what I'm good at. I'm good at X, Y, and Z. And you can learn whatever you want on the day. So the people that book in, every course is different, basically. So I try and run it so I don't give a, a firm title. It's teaching young voices in musical theatre. Then when teachers register, they tell me what they want to learn. And then I put, you know, I've got gazillions of slides and I put the whole content together um, for the morning is theory. And it's based upon what people want to know about what they're coming to receive, so to speak. And then in the afternoon, I have singers that show up, sing live and I work with them. So then the teachers can actually see that masterclass happening and um, ask questions and um, or they can bring their own students. So the one in May will be on a Sunday and it's likely that it will still be online and not in person. So I usually host them in London. Now starting to do them over Europe. Well, I was anyway, before lockdown. Um, so I can bring that course out to you where you are. 
so that will be on Sunday the 24th of May um, for any teachers out there who want to come and learn. I'm a big fan of practice tools. So I love the theory bit, but I'm a big fan of practice tools. I'm a big passionate fan of this is what I do. It, you might not think it right or wrong, but this is what I do. It works for me. Here are the tools. Go away, play. Come back to me if you want mentoring or come back on another course if you want to explore it more. So, um, yeah, and then really it's just for singers. Anyone that's mad about musical theatre and wants to sort out their technique, sort out their rep, learn more about audition technique, um, I do a lot of visiting schools and performing arts schools and dance schools and theatre groups to teach about mindfulness, resilience, to get their rep sorted out. Anything to do with musical theatre and the industry, that's what I love to do. So shout if you want to know more. That's amazing. And of course, we've got your teacher profile on our new website, ColchesterVoiceAcademy.com, because um, we, my students are going to be blessed to have you for a masterclass coming up in June, um, which, you know, they're all excited about as well. Very excited about. There's lots of musical theatre ones in my, college, in my school as well. So it's all lots and lots of fun and exciting stuff coming up. And I'll wrap it there, I think. So I'll just say thank you very much again for joining me. So thank you very much, Amelia Carr. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the episode and we'll move into your day with a bit more vocal freedom, feeling that you can express using your voice and let the world hear what you have to say. Visit colchestervoiceacademy.com forward slash podcast Sign up to be kept informed as new episodes are published and consider joining our online community. Membership to this will allow you to post questions to our guests, link you to show notes, social media links, and entitle you to exclusive offers from our guests. See you next time.